1 Kings chapter number 18. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. It says in verse number 4, So it was, while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 to a cave, and had fed them with bread and water. Father, thank you for revelation. These words were written thousands of years ago, but by the anointing of the Holy Spirit now, you lift them off the page with application and revelation for the moment, for today. So let the words of my mouth, meditations of my heart, be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. It says in 1 Kings 18 and 4, another translation, once when Jezebel had tried to kill all the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had hidden 100 of them in two caves. He put 50 prophets in each cave and supplied them with food and water. At first blush, that looks like a great thing. What a great act of taking a sacrifice and risk and going ahead and protecting these 100 prophets of the Lord. It looks good. I'll revisit that in just a few moments because there's a problem with the action that he took. When people become fearful, they look for a cave to dwell in. The problems, listen, the problems they have, the challenges they face, the difficulties that all of us come up with, the problem with caves, they're cold, they're dark, they're depressing to live in. Caves are places people retreat to when they're in a storm. And at times, wild beasts occupy caves. You get wolves and bears and sometimes bats. At times in the Word of God, caves were places people retreated to when they couldn't believe the Lord or were no longer trusting Him. They had lost trust and faith in God's ability to protect them. The first reference to a cave in God's Word is found in my next passage. Lot comes out of Sodom and Gomorrah. He has obeyed the command of the Lord, and he's leaving Sin City. In the process of leaving... His ungodly wife disobeyed the command of the Lord and looked back at Sodom, and she lost her life and turned into a pillar of salt. Lot began to waver in his faith, wondering about his decision. He thought the whole world was on fire from what he was observant of, and he became depressed and afraid and discouraged. He found a cave at Zoar. He got drunk in that cave that night, and his whole world collapsed. His family, stuff that went on, It became a big-time mess for Lot and his daughters and family. He was worried and fearful and retreated into a very dark place. And that dark place is more than just a a, a, a hewn-out stone somewhere. A dark place can be in your own spirit. He was in a really dark place. Fear will drive you into a cave. Fear is faith in the enemy. Fear is false evidence appearing real. Fear is the dark room where you develop your negatives. Fear will paralyze you from your purpose. Fear will blur your reality of the living, powerful one God. Satan loves it when you're fearful and you enter into a cave of worry, depression, darkness, and discouragement. One time David ran into a cave because he was being pursued by King Saul and there had gathered 300 men. These men were also exiles. They were driven away from Israel because they were all in debt, discouraged, and discontented. And there they all gathered around David in exile, and they developed the first man cave. They lived there. They reconstituted their lives and purposes. 
300 of them who had been in debt, discouraged and discontented, were all there reconstituting their lives, being trained for battle as warriors with David, all living in the cave together. David is on the run from King Saul. There's a price on his head. He's running for his life from the king of Israel because the empire has sent out its stormtroopers to destroy David. Fear drove David to a cave. What emerged out of that cave was David and his 300 mighty men of valor who were fierce, the scripture says, even to look at, would make a Navy SEAL take a double take because they were an unstoppable trained force. And repeatedly in the word of God, when people were in trouble, they retreated into caves. When Israel was invaded by heathen cultures, they would retreat into caves. When the Philistines attacked and plundered their crops at harvest, the people of Israel would run for the caves. During the days of Gideon, the people of God were hiding in caves and in dens. They were fearful. They were depressed. The normal reaction when people are afraid, they retreat into a cave. The same applies to God's principles today in God's people. People retreat into emotional caves, into caves of depression, caves of isolation. When people are hurt, when negative stuff happens, we tend to retreat, people cave in. Others become preppers to the extreme. They've got their bug out plan. They seek to go off the grid and drop totally off the radar and go into total isolation. But there are dangers about caves and caving in. In the book of Joshua, we have the story of Joshua defeating five kings and their entire kingdoms. The five kings of the armies Joshua defeated ran off after their kingdoms were defeated in war, and they all went to hide in a cave. But these five kings had fled and hidden themselves in a cave at Mechada. And it was told Joshua, saying, the five kings have been found hidden in the cave at Mechada. When Joshua heard the five kings were hiding in a cave, he commanded his military leaders to roll large stones in front of the cave entrance. So Joshua said, roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. Now watch. The hiding place is now transformed into a prison. When you retreat into a cave long enough, it will mutate into your prison. The hiding place has now become your prison. I know what it is to be hurt. I know what it is to walk through hard places. I know what it means to feel rejection. The enemy wants you to take what's happened in your life and to retreat into a hiding place to lick your wounds. But if you remain in that condition, if you will not get over it, if you remain offended and hurt, the hiding place becomes more than a place where you're hiding away. It becomes a prison. And once the hiding place becomes a prison, real danger begins to loom because there's a next step. Joshua commanded the five kings to be brought out. Joshua had opened the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings to me from the cave. Because if you remain in the cave long enough, alert, someone else governs when you come out. If you're offended and hurt and you allow the root of bitterness to take place in your spirit, then they control your life. Then your hurt place becomes your prison. And they control your life, not you. That's why we're challenged to forgive quickly. When you release forgiveness, when you refuse to become bitter and hurt and resentful, someone's done something to you, 
You're singing the somebody done somebody wrong song. You have control of your life when you reject that. But if you allow bitterness over what's happened to cause you to retreat, you isolate yourself. I will never speak to you again. The result, they control you. You no longer control your own destiny. And if you won't forgive, you'll live in a prison of past hurts. What happened to you may have been completely wrong. It may be absolutely an evil deed that was done, but so was the cross of Calvary. Remember Jesus' words? Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Then there's the story of Job's trials. He endured tax to this degree. You can't make this stuff up. You couldn't write a script like this. But watch in the 42nd chapter. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Job could have isolated himself because these were the friends that questioned his integrity. They leveled insults and attacks at him. These were the ones who said Job was under judgment of God because he had done something horrible, that God was punishing him when all of his children were killed. And his body was diseased, his finances were depleted, his wife turns her back on him, and they said, God is judging you. Job could have withdrawn. He could have retreated to a cave and remained there. But a miracle happened in the life of Job when he said, I will not remain in the cave of unforgiveness and past hurts. I will pray for them. And Job had forgiven them because after all that they had said to him, he called them his friends. Job forgave them and prayed for his friends, and God restored everything double to Job. The longer you remain in that cave, the more you will lose in the cave of forgiveness, unforgiveness, in the cave of fear, in the cave of rejection, in the cave of past hurts, in the isolation, your cave becomes your prison. And then notice what Joshua did. He commands the five kings to be brought out. Afterwards, Joshua struck them and killed them and hanged them on five trees. And then he does something very interesting. He took them down from the trees, cast them into the cave where they had been hidden, and large stones against the cave's mouth, which remain until this day. Hmm. Notice, if you don't come out of the cave of past hurt and pain, it will morph into your prison. And if you continue to remain in that cave, not only does it become your prison, it will become your grave. And if you don't let go of what happened, your cave becomes your grave. If you carry an unforgiving spirit and an unforgiving attitude, an unforgiving mouth, because that's where it shows up quickly, it will become a grave to God's plans and God's purposes for your life. It'll become a cave to your relationships a cave to your dreams, a cave to the call of God on your life. Now watch this. Once when Jezebel tried to kill all the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had hidden 100 of them in two caves. He put 50 prophets in each cave and supplied them with food and water. And the text says this, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. So here was a guy who trusted God, feared the Lord, honored God, but in his own desire to, let's help God out. Let me help God out with this mess we've got going on in Israel. He misstepped. King Ahab and 
wife Jezebel were killing all of God's prophets in Israel. So it sounds logical, does it not? Let me go protect all the rest of the prophets. So it was while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 to a cave. Elijah the prophet shows up. He's got something to say about this. And Obadiah responds to the appearance of Elijah in verse 9. So he says to Elijah, how have I sinned? What did did I do? Why are you upset with me? What, What line did I cross? Elijah wants to know why. Obadiah's put 100 prophets into caves. What are they doing in the cave? Elijah had a totally different perspective. He said, when sin is rampant in our nation, why are the preachers in the cave? Where are the preachers? They need to stand up and be heard. But they were saying, we're going to go hide in the cave. Kind of like the church has been doing for the last 20 or 30 years in America. Elijah understood that when your nation is in a crisis, a silent preacher is no better than a dead preacher. We cannot afford to be so politically correct that we don't disturb our nation by speaking the truth into a dark and dying world. Elijah saying, you can remain in the cave if you want to. You can go withdraw. You can go march. You can do whatever you want and, and get all fearful and all upset. God's not called me, he said, to live in a cave. I'm going to go confront King Ahab. So Elijah goes and he confronts King Ahab. Now remember, the king in that day could do whatever he wanted. I mean, kill this guy. But Elijah marches right into the palace, right up to King Ahab. He lays down a challenge and says, meet me on Mount Carmel. And he says to Ahab, now therefore send and gather all Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So the challenge on Mount Carmel, the God who answers by fire, let him be God in Israel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And America has been at that juncture now for quite some time. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice. And that's what American churches need again today, for the fire of the Lord to fall and we present ourselves as living sacrifices, and all that went up in smoke included the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. So anything unnecessary is done away with in our lives. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. (laughs) The Lord, he is God. This action began a spiritual reformation in Israel. Elijah takes out the false prophets and rid the nation of their demonic influences. Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. You think you have a rough pastor. Ooh. You don't want this guy to be your pastor. A cave can be an attitude. A cave can be an intimidation. 
The prophets were afraid and fearful. They were intimidated by the names Ahab and Jezebel. In this hour, God's calling us not to live in a cave of fear or worry or dark depression. We are called as his church to come out of that cave before the cave becomes our prison and the prison becomes our grave. And let me tell you, that is the agenda of some in our culture for the church of Jesus Christ. We cannot afford to cower in caves. Caves can be experiences we have endured in the past. Moses was called to bring Israel out of Egyptian bondage from his birth. Moses felt that stirring and that calling when he was observant of an Egyptian beating an Israelite slave. He said, this is unjust. And Moses intervenes. In the process, he kills the Egyptian. Then Moses is exiled into the wilderness where he lives out there as a shepherd in caves. Now watch this. After 40 years in the desert, Moses thought, I've tried and I've failed. I'm not going to try anymore. I was living in a cave. I retreated there because there was nothing left for me to do but take care of these herds. And then he said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses was content in the cave he had retreated to. It says that Moses was content to live with the man. And that man gave Zipporah his daughter to Moses. After 40 years of shepherding, he had given up on his call. Moses had given up his dream. He'd given up the call of God on his life. He had given up his purpose. And that was to liberate those Israeli slaves. And Moses grew content. Hear this cuss word in Christianity, content. The moment we become content, that ought to become foul language to a believer. We can never afford to enter the cave of contentment that says, I don't want any more. Just leave me alone. Let somebody else go do that. I'm fine attending church. Don't bug me. But I don't desire any more from the Lord. Moses had settled in. He said, let somebody else do it. Let someone else go fight that battle. I'm tired. Listen, I attempted to bring unity and peace. I attempted to do my part, and I was rejected. Nothing happened while in that cave. Just before that cave became a grave to Moses' purpose and a grave to his destiny, God lights up a bush, and God sends a fire, and that fire purged the spirit of Moses. God, send that fire to your people again. And pastor is saying to Calvary Christian Center, you have to come out of that cave of failure. Come out of that cave of sadness, out of the cave of sorrow, out of the cave of an unforgiving spirit. Come out of your caves. We're called to greater things, higher aspirations than to live less than what God has planned for our lives. We're on a mission and a purpose. And it's time to come out of the cave and take our place. Amen? And Moses began to make excuses. Who am I? I'm not eloquent. They're not going to believe me. Send somebody else. We drag every excuse out of the cave when we're not obeying God and doing what he's called us to do. And I could write a book, volumes of books, on all these excuses that I hear of people who hide in their caves 
and give me excuses as to why they're not obeying what God asked them to do. And I have to title it, You Can't Make This Stuff Up. When Moses came down off of the mountain with the Ten Commandments, he has the Ten Commandments in one arm. And we forget that while Moses was up there on the top of the mountain, the plans for the tabernacle, God gave those to Moses as well. Because Moses knew that the children of Israel were going to break God's law. But God had a plan. Under one arm, he's got the Ten Commandments. Under the other arm, he's carrying the plans for the tabernacle. This will be a place of restitution and forgiveness. And the tabernacle contained in it five pieces of furniture. The priests were commanded to sprinkle blood on each piece of furniture in that tabernacle. So if you were to look at the layout of the tabernacle, each furniture piece was placed in how it was assembled. If you viewed it from an aerial point of view, you were looking at a bloody cross because it was there that God would heal and forgive and restore his people. Hear this. God wants us out of the cave. Don't remain in that trespass. Don't remain in that violation. Don't remain in the guilt and the shame. Don't remain in your past hurts. The cross has provided the means whereby we can come out of the cave. And even if millions have failed, God said, you don't have to remain in the cave of guilt and condemnation, the cave of addiction. You run there when you get depressed or you're afraid or you're hurt. You regret your activities because you've ingested something that harms you. You smoked it, drank it, injected, and the cave has become a designated spot for the devil to become your prison. That cave, if you remain there long enough, will become a grave to all God has planned for you. We are not called to live in caves. Caves are emptied when Jesus shows up. Amen? Watch. Lazarus is dead for four days. His body had been bound hand and foot. His head had been wrapped in a cloth, and he'd been buried in that cave. And four days later, here comes Jesus. He was in that cave. Lazarus was in that cave dead. The cave was sealed with a stone. But Jesus walked up to the front of that cave and commanded, Lazarus, come out. It was a cave. There was a stone against it. The man was dead. Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave cloths and his, his face wrapped in a head cloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. That's God's plan for our lives. Unwrap him and turn him loose. We are here today to hear this word from the Lord. The word is it's time for you to come out of the cave of past hurts. It's time for you to come out of the cave of fear and intimidation and do what God has called you to do. God is speaking to his church, the bride of Christ. Come out of the cave. Listen, take a stand in this wayward culture. The Lord says, I have life for you, freedom for you. Do not hide your light under a bushel. Take it to the highest point on the hill and let it shine for all to see. What gives Christianity power to transform lives? Well, no other religion can do that, even get close. Jesus wouldn't stay in his cave. All the other prophets, all the other teachers, all the other founders, 
are all buried in their caves. They had tortured Jesus. They beat him, whipped him, ripped his beard from his face, jammed a crown of thorns on his head, hung him on a cross. He's bleeding, bruised, and he's crucified. And then when he dies, they place him in the borrowed cave of Joseph of Arimathea. And what makes the gospel so powerful is when you walk into the city of Jerusalem. You remember those moments? Oh, my goodness. And you walk into the cave where Jesus was buried. I'm not sure what the expectations are of some people because people have come from all over the world to look into that empty cave. Because when you walk into that cave, there's nothing there. And you know this is the place where on the third day... He rose, and the angel rolled the stone away and says, He is not here. It says right above the entrance, He is not here, for He has risen. It's a testimony. We don't have to live in the pain of our past. And it's time, listen to me, for His church to arise and stand, exiting the caves of fear and isolation, come out of the cave of fear and intimidation, because upon this rock, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. When Jesus exited that cave, he carried with him the keys of death and hell. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. That's why fear, addictions, the past cannot hold you because Jesus has the keys. And he's anointed to unlock the prison doors and roll stones away. And he calls the dead back to life and calls marriages to resurrection. And listen, to to live in a cave of past hurts as opposed to liberty and freedom. Someone made a stupid choice. Someone did something dumb. You messed up. The enemy wants you to live in that cave of hurt, in that cave of anger, in that cave of bitterness. And Jesus said, come out of that cave. Arise! It's over! I decree a new day in your life. Be healed from the pain of your past and come out of that cave. The power of the church is the empty cave, the empty tomb. Joseph of Arimathea gave up his cave so Jesus could use it for his glory. And Jesus is asking you to come out of whatever it is you have retreated to when you were under pressure, under stress, and you were trying to heal or work through your hurts, come out of those caves because Jesus wants to use that cave you've been dwelling in. He wants to use the cave of your hurts and your pain and your retreat or those addictions or that shame or that guilt or that fear of standing up and speaking for your Lord in this culture. Jesus wants to use that cave for his glory and as a testimony. I want you to do something. Let me ask you something. What are you doing in a cave? What are you doing? You are a child of the Most High God. When Gideon was hiding in a cave, it was a hole. God called him, not by his present circumstances, but he was, God called him by how God viewed him. God doesn't wait until we're strong to whisper great dreams into our ears. He doesn't wait until we have wealth and power to say, You're going to do something great for me. He tells you while you're hiding still in a hole in the ground or a dark cave. And he speaks to Gideon 
In Gideon, it says, in order to hide the grain from the Midianites, that's where he was hiding out, the bottom of the threshing floor, trying to protect what little assets he had. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. When you receive a threat from hell, a negative word, you need a word from heaven. And Gideon was fearful. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And he said to Gideon, the angel did, you are a mighty man of valor. God does not speak to present pain. God speaks to future potential. Thank the Lord. And when you leave the presence of some cave dwellers, see, some cave dwellers love the cave. And they love to have you hang out with them in their caves with them. They are cavemen. Or women. And they want you to be in that hole with them so that you can all talk about all the issues you have in life and all the struggles and all the problems and just continue to magnify your stinking thinking. And when you're in the presence of those cave dwellers, your courage dissipates. Be careful. You don't choose to hang out with fear feeders. That you don't walk into caves where people talk you down and tell you why you can't do what God's told you you can do. They are fear feeders. And you, when you are with fear feeders, your courage walks out. I noticed something in the story of Gideon. He sent home those who were fearful. God told him, send home the fearful. If you're afraid to engage, then just go home. And he was left now with 300 men to fight a very large army, outnumbered. They tell us nearly 100 to 1. And God told him that they take 300, and each of them take this little pitcher, a lamp. It was nothing but a, a glass pitcher. It wasn't clear. There was a torch inside of it. The torch was hidden while it was lit. And a trumpet. And surround the enemy. And at his command, break the glass, release the light, and blow the trumpet. Then shout, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And of course, that scared many nights. They fled. I mean, they killed each other and everything on the way out. And there's this great victory in Israel. But remember, Gideon didn't have a sword. He only had a lamp and a trumpet. And God brought a huge victory, one that had come out of that hole in the ground with the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. The word of God is a two-edged sword. And the scripture is so clear, even in the New Testament, that we are to pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. God speaks his word, and it's one edge of the sword. When you speak, it's the other edge of the sword. You have to speak what God says if you're going to exit the cave and arise to your purpose. Speak what God speaks. Then you carry a two-edged sword. I say what God says, and God says we are the righteousness of God 
in Christ Jesus. We are the head and not the tail. We are above and not beneath. We are blessed and highly favored. God said it. That's one edge of the sword. When I say it, it's the second edge. It's a two-edged sword that defeats every adversary. Your victory comes by the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. You have in your hands a two-edged sword, the word of the living God. Speak it. Amen. Live it. And let it shine wherever you are. Stand to your feet and bless the Lord for a moment. Come on. Praise him. Honor him. Thank him.